Prime right now is, is the kind of crank that turns the entire Amazon wheel. And when you look at how many things they're into now from, uh, yeah, Prime Video and Prime Music and Photos and all the devices, it's, it's you know, Bezos has this quote, I think it's actually in the Everything Store. Uh, it, it, the quote is, we don't have many big advantages, so we have to weave a rope of smaller advantages. And Prime is the rope, it's the connective tissue between all the different businesses. My guest today is Brad Stone. Brad is Senior Executive for Technology at Bloomberg News and the award-winning author of several books on the world of technology. His latest book, Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. In Unbound, Braid gives us a behind-the-scenes view of how a retail upstart becomes one of the most powerful and feared entities in the global economy. I recently sat down with Brad and talked about the evolution of Bezos himself, who started as a geeky technologist totally devoted to building Amazon, but who transformed to become a fit, disciplined billionaire with global ambition. Brad, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really look forward to it, especially uh, now that you have this new book here. The name of the book, folks, is Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Charles. I first read your book, The Everything Store, back, I think it was 2015. I think it was published at 13 or 14, somewhere around there, yeah. A friend of mine gave it to me. He goes, Charles, you're going to like this book. And read the book, I think, in two sittings. Really, really interested. That's what, you know, when I read that, you could understand where Bezos was going with Mars. Everything that he did as a kid was towards colonizing Mars, which is really cool. But what I was so happy to see that you came out with another book, because since then, Amazon, I think, has, I think, more than doubled. No, way more than doubled. Uh, and it got into AWS, the cloud computers. There's so much more, and I'm so happy to have you on the show today for that because we're going to talk about all this. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Okay, first thing I want to know is how do you get inside? How many people do you have to interview uh, to find out what's going on at Amazon, which jealously guards its secrets, its people, its its own, you know, it's almost like, I don't know. It's like it's like its own country. That's true. And and what's interesting about Amazon is, um, you know, people in one corner of the company have no idea what others in a different corner are doing. There, there are very few people with any kind of extensive visibility across the whole company, maybe only just a handful sitting on the senior leadership team. And that's what makes it interesting, but also maybe doable. Um, it's such a siloed company. It's so decentralized. But as as a result, like there are, you know, thousands and thousands of people that I, you could conceivably go to to get little pockets of the story of the history. And, and you know, Bezos is the central character, and he kind of disperses his time or did when he was CEO across the company. So it's simply a matter of mathematics, right? I spend my time, you know, my years working on these books, reaching out to people, current and former employees, and asking, what did you see at the revolution? And, and then just listening. And so it's everything from the people that work on the online grocery delivery businesses to uh, Prime Video and the Hollywood Initiative, and then Bezos's personal pursuits like the Washington Post 
and Blue Origin, the space company, which you mentioned. And so, yeah, to answer your question, it's a couple of hundred people, but I, I'm sort of obsessed by Amazon and by this tremendous growth, this company that's impacted all of our lives and potentially um, you know, awakened uh, the fears of regulators and legislators around the country. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not work. It's kind of fun. And, and do these people, when you approach these, these um, people at Amazon, I think when they're working there, they go off the record with you? Some of them, some of them, you know, I quote many people at Amazon Unbound on the record. And in fact, Amazon cooperated with the book and allowed me to, to talk to some current executives. And, and But it's a variety, as, with, as it is with all tech companies, Charles. Some, some people are fearful. You know, they feel like maybe their NDA precludes them talking. Some want to be careful. Some don't want their names used. Others don't care. And look, Amazon is a public, it's almost a public utility at this mm -hmm. point. And I think for Amazon and other tech companies, there's a kind of growing awareness, you know, that former employees should share what they what they saw to keep these tech companies accountable. And we're talking on a week where obviously, you know, a Facebook whistleblower is going to testify before Congress. And so people are more willing to talk about what they see as the not just the story of the success, but, you know, the pro the problems that the company has made along the way. You know, I've the persona that uh Jeff Bezos puts out there. It's almost like Warren Buffett, right? In a sense. Warren Buffett puts himself out as a country bumpkin, a nice guy, a buy low, sell cheap. But when I spoke back 12 or 13 years ago to Alice Schroeder, who wrote uh, Snowball, she said a lot of people didn't want to speak to me on the record because they were scared of Buffett coming after them afterward. And, this, and she goes, Charles, you don't get to become one of the richest people on earth by selling Girl Scout cookies. I do remember that, <laughs> you know, so uh, kind of ruthless. And when you read your book, uh, which I found to be very balanced, really balanced, you weren't judgmental, you call it the way you saw it, which I guess could be pretty hard uh, to do something like that because I'm sure you felt certain ways on certain points. But um, uh, working for Jeff Bezos in that environment, it's not easy. It's, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Amazon has a reputation for being a difficult kind of transactional employer, right? There are many stories in the fulfillment centers and in the offices of a, you know, of a challenging workplace. So they're, not, they're not there to fool around. Um, the company is growing by leaps and bounds. They, want, they try to give uh, people a lot of authority. They expect them to make immediate contributions. But at the same time, it's still very bureaucratic. It's got over a million employees. Bezos himself kind of strikes fear in the heart, I think, of a lot of people. But I, I was helped by the fact that the company was cooperating and that I had the earlier book, The Everything Store, as a kind of calling card, right? And people were generally familiar with it. And they knew I was sort of writing what I hope is the authoritative, uh, definitive Amazon history and history of one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time. And I think, you know, that helped. It opened doors. People wanted to contribute to that. Even though Jeff Bezos' wife gave you a one-star rating on that book, right? And everybody went right. So <laughs> if people don't remember that, yeah, Mackenzie uh, Bezos at the time, and uh, now Mackenzie Scott, and other Amazon executives, um, probably motivated by Jeff himself, gave, gave the first book one-star reviews. But that was seven years ago and or eight years ago. And, and now Bezos cooperated with this book and allowed me to talk to friends and, and em employees. And so, yeah, people asked me about that. And then I said, look, 
I don't know if they've necessarily come around, but they're not fighting. They're not fighting this. Right. And that helped to open doors. Right. Okay. So uh, I want to talk about all the businesses that, that Amazon now dominates and, uh, and, and how they got into those businesses, how many of them are from the mind of Jeff Bezos himself. He came up with the, like, uh, just absolutely staggering, which I didn't, I always thought there were committees, there were groups, but many of the ideas and many of the business and many of the names came up from him, uh, which was amazing. But before we get into that, Amazon has a culture, and you mentioned in your previous book, but you really expanded upon it here, that you have to write out a six-page, uh, there's no, let me rephrase, there's no PowerPoints, there's no keynotes, there's no flip shots. You have to write out a six-page, what do they call that? A, um, uh, a narrative. A narrative, a narrative, a six-page narrative about your idea, about progress, or whatever it is, and this meeting of the committee, which is the S... Uh, S-team. The yep. S-team sits there with Jeff at the head and silence while everyone reads through the reports. My first question is, why a six-page narrative? What did that teach you or could teach American business about having clear ideas instead of quick presentations? Yeah, well, so it started almost 20 years ago, and Bezos was really frustrated in the inefficiency of most meetings at Amazon. He didn't have time for the PowerPoint, for the theatrics of, an in, of a presentation. He wanted more thinking to take place before the meeting started and to, and to see a document when the, when the thinking had been crystallized in its most dense form so that then the decision, the discussion and the decision could be made. And, you know, he's a reader. This is how he processes information. To see an appendix full of stats means nothing to, to Bezos and, and other Amazon executives. At first, there were no page limits on the narratives, and then people went on forever. So adding the six pages was a bit of a compromise to try to get people to edit a little bit. You know, I, I, I know that a lot of former Amazon executives have, have tried to bring the narratives to their other companies, and it hasn't always worked. I think maybe it it's it might be particular to a certain kind of company, or Amazon in particular, but um, but it it's it is effective for them, and the narratives are happening at every level, and so it might be a small team working on grocery delivery, and they've got their six pagers, but eventually, maybe once or twice a year, they're passing on their pa their paper up through the ranks, and then as you say, the the senior leadership team used to be Bezos in the room. He's not always in the room anymore because he's executive chairman, is reviewing the highest level papers and making the big decisions. And so it's a way, as this company has gotten so sprawling, so distributed, of making the most efficient decisions and making sure they're data-based um, and, and you know, using everyone's brains, I guess, as, as, they, as they go through the most critical business reviews and projections for the years ahead. Yeah, and you, and you highlight in the book uh, some team members that got to this room, prepared this six-page narrative, which I'm sure probably caused people a lot of sleepless nights, making sure everything was perfect. And you discuss how Bezos was looking through one, saw something in the back page, was a footnote, which a number was wrong, ripped it up, and that person was left in tears. That's right. So... He, he has um, evolved somewhat as a, as a manager. And I had a lot of fun in the everything store with you know, the early Bezos where he would fly off the handle and really punish his employees. 
And there's like, there's even a greatest hit section of like the harshest things that he said. Uh, and then in this book, Amazon Unbound, I was trying to show some of the growth. And there was this early, I think it was 2008, example of where he finds a mathematical error in a, in a six-page document, tears it up and throws it down the table. And I don't, I don't know that he does that as much anymore at, at Amazon. I think maybe the sharp edges do come out a little bit at Blue Origin, which is having some cultural problems as space company right now. But it was a great illustration of yeah, how exacting he is and how smart he is being able to analyze a document, pick out the mathematical error that even the domain expert that had prepared the document painstakingly, probably over the course of months, hadn't identified. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's so amazing that you have in one guy the ability to uh, be extremely, extremely creative. We're going to discuss some of his amazing innovations, but at the same time be so left brain and so analytical and a gatherer and keeper and, and an analyst of so much data information and knows where to put the chess pieces. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he, he, yeah, certainly you don't uh, create a $1.7 trillion company without a, a kind of remarkable package of talents and skills, but you know, Charles, like I'm, I'm starting to wonder, you know, what what in that package is is sort of missing, right? And then that's as interesting a story. Um, you know, on the one hand, there's a lot of attention in my book paid to the lack of empathy in Amazon's relationship with its employees, um, the lack of kind of understanding of what things like a global marketplace without rules, what what kind of problems that can create. And then we're also talking on a week where I don't know if you saw it, um, and I don't want to date the show, but there was let's just say there was a recent Saturday Night Live, uh, and and there was uh, Owen Wilson was hosting, and there was a a, a commercial uh, spoof on Bezos and a space company, Blue Origin. It was it was like a fake promotion for a star a Star Trek show that was going to be called Ego Quest, mm. and it just strikes me as you know some of the things that he's been doing publicly have a remarkable lack of self-awareness. And unfortunately, like people are sort of making fun of him for that. So yes, on the one hand, like this enormous skills and combination of talent. On the other hand, there are a couple of variables that are missing, you know, and he he, he goes out there in a spacesuit and cowboy hat and the world kind of makes fun of him. And I'm not saying he cares. Oh, you, he wore, you know, he, I don't think he, he wore cowboy boots. Like that was so dorky. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you know, he was laughing. He was having the time of his life. Yeah. And 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 now people are dunking on him. So yeah, it's like this ability to, he's a technologist, he's far seeing, he's an amazing engineer, he can understand the details of these projects that his employees are working on. But at the same time, he, he seems to have emphasized breakneck growth among some other kind of softer things at Amazon. And he has a blind spot a little bit for how the world is looking right now at its wealthiest citizens. Right, right, right. Okay, so I want to go back a bit. I want to go to Alexa because after reading your book, no, not after reading book, after the Alexa part, I had one near my bed that I had connected because I got the echo as a gift or something. Cause we have in our house, Google home and we have the echo. I want to tell you, I like Google home much better. Uh, but okay. We have that there. This is amazing. It used to be in the dining. It wasn't, it is in the dining room. And um, all of a sudden, we just blurt out something in the middle. We would always joke that, you know, uh, you know, they're listening in. And really, they are listening in. After reading your book <laughs> and seeing how the engineers were listening in to all these conversations, and I didn't even 
I, I, I didn't even think about all the different dialects throughout the United States uh, of people say how they, how they, how they taught Alexa what to listen for. Could you just walk us through that? Because I think it really gives us a window to a few things. And I'm going to shut up in just a second. Is one is coming up with the idea from Star Trek. He really thought. Uh, so I said that, that there wasn't any prototype for. Uh, number two, all of the technological barriers that continue to get in front of him, figured out a way to get, get him out of the thing. And even when it did come out, and there were mistakes, to keep persevering till it was, I wouldn't say perfect, but still where he wanted it to be, but not where he thought it could be. Right. You know, it was, and and I start the book with uh, with Alexa, and because in part because chronologically it was the beginning of the story I'm telling, the last decade of Amazon, and Bezos in 2010 having an intuition that maybe artificial intelligence and voice recognition was good enough that you could put a speaker on the on the other side of a room and have it recognize what people are saying and maybe answer. And he he drove the project. He got in there deciding things like the wake word and, and, and the name of the device. But, but you know, um, you know hang, hang on one second. I just want to say this, is that we all watched, I know I did, I watched Star Trek, uh, the original. And then when I got married, my wife was a Trekkie. I didn't watch it that religiously. Every night we used to watch the old ones until they came out with the next generation. So she's really a Trekkie. And everyone saw that. Computer, set us on a course of this, that. We all, we all saw that. Right. He said, I'm going to make this reality. Yeah. It was, it's remarkable. Yeah. And, um, and then, and it didn't, the technology didn't exist. I mean, Siri was around, but again, Siri is speaking to your phone. So you don't have the problems of, you know, acoustic echoes or crosstalk. I mean, these are some basic things that we kind of take for granted that Alexa and now its imitators do extraordinarily well. And we get, and we, get and we get pretty pissed if it doesn't hear. You said, right. like, what? I'm, I'm across the room. It's echoing. My dog's barking, and a fire truck just passed by. You mean it couldn't hear that? Right. <laughs> you know exactly. Um, but you raise a, you raise an interesting point, which is there's a little bit of a wizard behind the curtain, and that are that is the engineers or even the contractors that listen occasionally, not just to Alexa recordings, but also Google Home and Siri. And they're, they're basically, all these tech companies are auditing uh, the inputs to their devices and the, the instances where the computers didn't get it right. And they're trying to figure out, okay, the next time when people ask the same question, can we, do, can we answer better? And the, you know, they don't advertise uh, the fact that they do that and it, it, it probably does creep some people out. But they have to. And it's something that Amazon did in, in the very earliest days of Alexa before the device was even public. They were listening and, and transcribing the requests and then figuring out, okay, how can Alexa answer this? And that's why, in part, it got so good. It's a, it's a sort of mass effort of data collection. Uh, and that is like one variable at how you make these things good. And you know what was so fascinating, which we you just, you know, you forget some, I forget but should not be forgotten. The whole point of Alexa was to order more products on Amazon. It was all a flywheel. It's not necessarily true. No? No, no. I mean, I think they came to that late, and I don't think they've ever quite figured it out. But no, I don't, I don't think so. I think the original point was to create a kind of AI, a, a voice agent in the house. You know, I would say more important to Amazon's strategic roadmap is to allow it to control 
you know, to be the home networking hub to control appliances and lights and things in the home. Um, to, to have it, remember, Amazon failed with the phone. So this is another way to integrate into people's daily lives. And yes, it's supposed to also be an ordering mechanism. I, I don't know that they've ever quite gotten that right or that it really matters. This is a standalone business that probably generates hundreds of millions of dollars each year just, just with device sales. Mm, wow, that's, that's interesting. Because I always saw it, uh, you know, they had the, um, the, the, um, that button, I remember that you could click or order, continually ordering, what was that called? Uh, right. I forgot. What was that called? Um, okay, it's going to come to me later, Charles, no. but they discontinued I didn't it. see that in the book. I didn't see that. that uh, right. I don't think you mentioned that. But it was something where you'd put it all different parts of your house. And right. if you need the washing machine to order more Tide or whatever, you just click the button. Uh, it will figure it out later what that was. It failed. It didn't work. But it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. No, it didn't. And, and maybe um, that's one of the things that they thought, well, maybe Alexa just does this better. Um, oh, it's the dash button. Dash, dash. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I didn't include it. I mean, the, the thing with the tough thing with a company like Amazon that throws so much against the wall, tries so many different things from enterprise computing to consumer devices to the core retail business and then Bezos' own misadventures is figuring out what to include and what not to. And that was one that probably ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, uh, I, I think you, you outline it really great here. Uh, when he was in the um, Smithsonian and they were ded dedicating or unveiling his picture and his speech uh, to the crowd. Could you just share that with us? Right, right. So he's being inducted into the portrait gallery of the Smithsonian and his, his oldest son, Preston, was making the introduction and it was a real moving speech. And then he comes up there and he says, in a sort of with a, a sort of humility that maybe he's not known for, he says, "My life is a series of mistakes." And he he asked the crowd, "How many of you own a Fire Phone?" <laughs> now, look, I, I think this is maybe practiced humility or intentional humility. I mean, he's the richest guy in the world at that point. Since then, Elon has eclipsed him, but at that point, he is, and his company is being is is coming under one, a kind of regulatory pressure, and two, you know, a little bit of criticism because it, is, it has thrived during the pandemic. So he's a target right now. And I think, you know, leading with his chin and saying, you know, look, I've, I've, I've failed in a lot of ways. It's probably a little bit of like a clever strategy. I don't know how well it necessarily, how effective it, it, it is, but uh, you know, and, and, but it also is is part and parcel with his philosophy, which is, you know, you sometimes you have to kind of trudge through the desert to failure before you reach success. And, you know, at the Amazon story is replete with with failed initiatives. Right. Look, I mean, the company almost went out of business in 2000, 2001 uh, and then revives to, a, a you know, pull off one of the greatest comebacks in business history. And of course, there are many initiatives like the Fire Phone, like its initiative in China, where they've lost billions of dollars. You could say you could say that they're still on a on a on a um, a quest in things like grocery delivery or even Prime Video, Amazon's TV shows and movies. Um, but you know, Bezos is right. You you know, you take enough swings and you're bound to hit some home runs. See, I think that's you know, as uh, reading this from a business perspective. Uh, you, we only, you know, it's like a gambler only remembers the winners, forgets the losers quickly. But uh, the way you outline it in the book, and you, no, I shouldn't say outline it, describe uh, really intricately, is 
there were challenges every step along the way from, uh, you know, the simple back days of realizing to get tables to do packing so you don't have to go, you know, on the floor to the point of the last mile, delivering goods the last mile and, and working with uh, uh, the U.S. Post Office uh, to get them delivered and bypassing UPS. You know, one might take it for granted, but these were hurdles that, that they not only overcame, but really perfected. That's right. I, I do a whole, I have a whole chapter on the transportation division. And, and as we all know, or at least those of us in major cities, Amazon is delivering most of its packages itself now in, in vans that say Amazon with delivery drivers wearing Amazon uniforms who aren't necessarily Amazon employees, they're contractors. And, and those are interesting stories. I mean, hopefully, Charles, you, you know, you appreciate some of the personalities involved, the head of that division, basically suing the best man at his wedding, his best friend, because the guy leaves Amazon to try to go to Target. I mean, these are really driven individuals who, who are bleeding Amazon colors. Uh, the other interesting thing to me is, is how, you know, we see them as kind of expansionist impulses on, on the part of Amazon. But is, when I started diving into it, the, the company was really forced to do it, right? Because they're growing faster than UPS and faster than FedEx and, and the U.S. Postal Service. And so basically they were in a position maybe five, seven years ago of trying to implore their partners to go and build new capacity you know, buy new airplanes. You know, by the way, at the end, if you, 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 of course, you recall, but at the end of your last book, you do discuss that, uh, the Everything yeah. Store, where they called the UPS people and said, we're not paying this. And they, and they right. you know, it was like a game of chicken, and they blinked. Right. Not Amazon, the other, yeah. the UPS blinked. Right, and then in this book, I, I talk about how they desperately needed UPS to keep up with their growth, and UPS wouldn't do it for 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 really understandable reasons. They they didn't trust Amazon. They didn't want to like build new capacity and have Amazon's low margins kind of eat away at their business. And and then back in like 2013, 2014, Amazon had some really crummy holidays where they were disappointing customers because they didn't have their enough capacity. So they have had to do this, but then they've brought their kind of anti-union pro-contractor mentality, and that's created a lot of disruption and some heartache uh, among this class of worker. And that's a whole interesting avenue that I explore in the book. Yeah, uh, you know, um, be before you do that, because I want to talk about the anti-labor, uh, anti-union, I shouldn't say anti-labor, it's really a union, and, um, and, and how careful they were to keep away from that. And, and in a, um, Zapolsky, I think it was, uh, from Brooklyn. He's the chief lawyer, you know, yeah. Brooklyn guy would be very, that's where I'm speaking to you from, he was very particular on what words to say, what words never to say, right. markets, this and that. And, and he goes on a tirade <laughs> about at the end, which, which, is, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But um, I want to go back to one thing. You talk about the people. What I really found, I shouldn't say inspiring, what I really found, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it, out-of-the-box thinking, is some of the people who were in senior positions were a former high school teacher who was a band leader, uh, someone else in a mundane industry. They weren't MBA types. They weren't Harvard types. They weren't Wharton types. And the brilliance and the challenge and the culture and the environment that these people were in made them not, not good, but made them the top in the world in their position. 
Yeah, I mean, I think some of the people that you're describing, interestingly enough, they they were they did get their MBAs. Um, some of them did go to to Harvard Business School, but I think your your point is right in, in that they go to Amazon and none of that training matters anymore. They get their kind of master's degree or PhD in the at the in the School of Bezosology, and and you know these are people characters in my book who have been at Amazon for 20, 25 years, some of them basically discipled with Bezos. They were his technical assistant. So they, they really got showered with his unique operating philosophy and, you know, which is, is good and bad. It's like long-term thinking and continuing, continuing to kind of re reinvent, but it's also a pretty harsh and unempathetic relationship with workers and driving ahead. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of like a low expectations on what you might get from your blue collar workers. And so always pushing them, grading them with algorithms and pushing them out if they don't meet expectations and hiring more people. And right, they don't teach this stuff at business school, in part because Amazon is, is seeing growth numbers that are really unknown to, to, to traditional business and is having to improvise at every stage of its growth. And so, you know, they really for, they really forge their own unique business minds. Yeah. And you're talking about folks like Dave Clark, who who runs Dave Clark, yeah. all of retail now, mm-hmm. and Andy Jassy, who is the CEO of the company. And they, these are, are longtime Amazon folks who I, I think really are are even though they went to business school, really get their degrees at in the at the school of Bezos. Right. You know, just just think for a second uh, for those who are younger than me. Back in the day, you saw a TV advertisement for a product, and you would have to call into an 800 number or mail away, and on the bottom it said four to six week delivery, four to six weeks. Amazon has conditioned us for two-day delivery, and in many cases, one-day delivery. I'm in New York, so sometimes I get my stuff. I was getting my stuff at one point same day at a certain uh, point when they opened up a big terminal in Brooklyn uh, uh, and Staten Island also, Uh, but it was you know, the joke was, we were talking with, with my kids, like, go away without anything. End up in a hotel, any part of the United States, and see if you can get everything you need in one to two days. You know, just go, don't even go with a toothbrush. And it's, it's possible. It's so possible. So uh, that's something that business, for whatever reason, couldn't or wouldn't or wasn't able to do, which was quick delivery. And not only did they do it, they created a whole unique system of getting goods last mile by working with so many different uh, carriers, which, you, as you point out, it did not work originally when you had contractors and they ran over an old lady. There have been costs, right? And, and I think that's something, hopefully, that comes through in the book, that when you're growing 35 40% a year and you're, you're changing models midstream, you're trying to deliver more packages yourself, you know, relying less on some of these union shops like UPS um, or the USPS. Yeah, there have been costs, and and I think in a, I, I hopefully one of the things that comes out of the book is the sort of unintended consequences of trying to grow with an over reliance on algorithms and technology and self service systems. And Amazon's demonstrated it every step of the way. And right in the in the transportation department, they hire all these contractors, they manage them with machines. And yeah, the the out the outcome is some some tragedies on the road, and then a whole legion of lawsuits, some of which are still going on against Amazon that's you know throwing up its hands and saying, We're 
those aren't our employees. Yeah. That's a contractor who works for someone else. Yeah, but Brad, I do hear that. And I'm, I please don't take what I'm saying to be unsympathetic because I, it, it's not intended to be. But during COVID, when they only were sending certain items or taking priority to items that were for uh, first responders and health professionals, uh, it was, I was like, I was pissed at some points of, what do you mean? I was taking four days to get my uh, T-shirts? Like, uh, so I said, wait a second. People are dying. Okay, I got that. But, and I just want to say this, but in any type of innovation, like even when Henry Ford with the assembly line, uh, yeah, it produced quicker things, yet it turned people into robots by doing the same thing over and over again. I, I think when once a, once a business expands into uncharted territory and stretches the imagination to a point where what the impossible is now done on a on a on a matter of fact basis which we take for granted two day delivery many times one day delivery it still boggles my mind there are going to be costs agreed but as much as we don't like those costs many of us don't like the other side of the equation of not getting what mm -hmm. we want Many of us say, let's cut off China right now. Hey, 90% of the stuff we get, our supply lines are gone. Our pharmaceuticals are going to be gone. A lot of stuff's going to be gone. So we like, you know, I shouldn't say we. I'm gonna be, I don't want to be presumptuous. I talk the talk, but, you know, when it comes down to reality, it's really difficult. So I'm not judging what Amazon did and what Bezos did, but there will always be a cost for, you know, stretching the envelope for innovating and for creating stuff that just wasn't there. Uh, because look, the way he tracks, uh, the way they, they track, I shouldn't say he, the way the company tracks movements and trying to make it more efficient. What's the other alternative? Robots doing it and all these people are unemployed? Uh, so Well, Amazon might get there. Yeah, but, but they, <laughs> they, they but, would love to get there. But there's no reason not to think that they wouldn't get there, right? So yeah. yeah, so so. Uh, you know, I'm sure when they first came out with a typewriter, the people who were had beautiful penmanships and people used to pay them to write things, you know, we put all them out of business. Right. I think that's right. that's what happens. And, and you know, when, when uh, especially, it doesn't come in a gradual sense. It kind of smacks you in the face, and, and it hurts for a while. But, you know, look at the buggy whip makers, right. you know. We feel bad for them right. too, but. And, and I would just say that, you know, even, even going back to Henry Ford, um, you know, it's it's the attention that is brought to the to the plight of the workers who are caught up in the machine, and then and then society self corrects, right? Then you That's had right. the organized labor movement, right. and I think now and it right, self, 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 self corrects the other way too. You know, it just the yeah. pendulums keep swinging. Right. You know? It is. It is <laughs> right. We are. This is a story as old as time, and Amazon is the current incarnation of it. But. Um, yeah, but but look, I mean, I, I that's why I try to take a balanced view because Amazon is simply fulfilling its promises to customers and customers want quicker delivery. And if they were ever to slow it down and go, well, hang on, uh, it's not safe. We we need to be safe. It's, delivery is going to take three days. We don't want to push our people that much. Believe me, I, I'm not naive about this. There would be plenty of startups and companies like Walmart that would rush into the breach and Amazon would be in trouble. So it's the incentives, the financial structure. It's these companies are all running as fast as they can. But that's what you get in a capitalist society, right? We want our products, but we don't want them to be made in sweatshops throughout the world or people who are in substandard living. But we don't want to pay too much for them. So you tell me how you're supposed to deal with that balance. Right. 
Right. Well, Amazon, it's, you know, Amazon's trying. I mean, since my book has come out, they have an, announced major product safety, anti-counterfeit, uh, anti-fraud initiatives for the marketplace. Okay. It's all great stuff. Arguably, it's stuff they should have been doing four or five years ago when they globalized the marketplace and the flood of unsafe and counterfeit products. M- hit maybe, the- may- maybe, maybe, because it was coming really quickly. So, you yeah. know, we're sitting here on the outside saying, well, of course they should have, but they're going at light speed and they're trying to get your stuff in two days to your house and getting that last mile, which we know how difficult the post office is losing zillions of dollars for the last hundred years. And Amazon found a way to, to be a profit center for the post office. So that's a good thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're going so quickly, to service one end of the of the marketplace, there's going to be collateral damage. I'm not taking. I'm not saying it in a glib manner. It, you know, it's unfortunate, but you can't have A without B. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's not my job to excuse them for the collateral damage. You know, it's my job to call it to call it out. And you know, it's interesting because when you talk to former Amazon executives who are part of these initiatives, you know, they're enormously proud of what they accomplished, but at the same time. They see, you know, what the unintended consequences are, and I think they have some regrets that they didn't move more quickly. So I think both are true. You know, right? You, it's you did mention one lady in here, one lady who worked for the company. I forgot who it was, and she, uh, she was working, I think, with Alexa. I'm not sure. If they, she disconnected. She leaves the company, <laughs> uh, disconnects Alexa, and doesn't use Amazon again. She was working on Prime Day. Prime Day. The uh, yeah. Explain that. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I don't want to cut your story. You Well, I mean, this was, um, right, this was an extraordinary story. One of the first product managers in charge of Prime Day, I think the first one was something like 2015. What was her name? What, had... what was her name? Do you remember? I forget it. All right. You wrote a lot of names in this book. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to search my own book. Yeah. It's going to come to me in a second. Okay, but I, but, but, um, I'll tell you, after I read that, I want to tell you, I knew exactly. I was on the beach on a Sunday reading it from my Kindle. <laughs> Funny. Reading it from my Kindle. And I saw that she disconnected her Alexa, uh, your, her Echo. I went home. I, I, that's the one that was near my bed. I disconnected. I said, you know, I hardly ever use it. I don't want to listening in. I don't want to keep being prompted to order stuff. Well, you know, Charles, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, she was proud of what she accomplished with Prime Day. It was really years later. She had a pretty good career at the company when Bezos got into some sca- some scandals, some tabloid trouble. And I talk about that in the book. And after the HQ2 fiasco, you know, where they had to pull out of Long Island City after they chose that as one of their destinations. And she kind of lost faith that, you know, she and other employees should be working so hard and giving up so much in their personal lives for Bezos, who was becoming so extraordinarily wealthy. And so she made a personal choice to leave the company and kind of disconnect from it. Um, she also felt it was a sort of male-dominated internal culture, and which it was, you know, and had, <laughs> yeah, it is right, mm-hmm. and 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 certainly they're trying to address that. Um, and it, it's these voices, these dissenters, um, you know, that 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 make it so interesting, right? Um, it's not a majority view necessarily, but she was someone who made a big contribution with Prime Day at the company. Uh, and now looks back and questions, what is it all for? Is it just an orgy of uh, of spending on stuff we don't need? That's what. That's exactly um, what or, you wrote, right? You wrote so yeah, so people people could be buying keep people could be keep buying more stuff. That was the whole aim. So just I'm um, getting off this train. Right. 
exactly. Um, and look, it, I, I included her voice because I thought it was very, she was very thoughtful about it. And she's like, did we all, do we all just buy rice cookers that sit in our, in our closets in our kitchen? Rice and the funny thing right, was, right. I have a rice cooker <laughs> that's sitting in my cabinet in the kitchen and maybe I use it or no, it was an Instapot was the example. And, and, you know, maybe I've used it a half dozen times. It was a good in, deal. In it was a good deal. It, it was a good deal, but do I need it? Do I really uh, need it? Do we really it? need, so, do we really need I, much of what we want, you know, have it? Exactly. You know, so, um, you exactly. know, you know, I, I, one thing that I think is so telling uh, is the amount of prime customers uh, you put here in the book? I think it was a hundred million or so. Uh, I think the number during COVID increased. I forgot the exact number. I think it's more than two hundred million globally okay. right now. Think about that for a minute. I remember I was at an investment conference in two thousand seven or two thousand six. It was two thousand six, and Bill Miller uh, was speaking. Bill Miller of Leg Mason at the time. And he was one of the early investors in, in Amazon. And that's when Amazon was not showing any profit. And, he was a believer. Oh, he, but he said something which was so interesting at the time. It was a little late. When did, that, when did Prime come out? What year? Do you remember? 2005. Okay, so it was 2006, right? He says, Amazon doesn't release the Prime numbers. Now, Prime, for those folks who don't know, is where you pay a certain amount. Then it came out at $79, where you got uh, free shipping. And later on, they, they added on so many more bonuses to keep the, now the Prime is up to $119, which, full disclosure, I've been a Prime member since day one, and I gladly pay the $119. Because I remember they used to have a $25 minimum, and I used to put stuff in my cart and not order until it was $25. So it was brilliant. It was brilliant innovation. And Bill Miller, quote on early, he said, they don't break out, which they did for many years, break out the Prime numbers, he says, but... Just all my research is showing that these prime customers, it's going to be a force. And he was so, so right on that. Prime right now is, is the kind of crank that turns the entire Amazon wheel. And when you look at how many things they're into now from, uh, yeah, prime video and prime music and photos and all the devices, it's, it's, you know, Bezos has this quote. I think it's actually in the Everything Store. Uh, we, it, the quote is, we don't have many big advantages, so we have to weave a rope of smaller advantages. And Prime is the rope. It's the connective tissue between all the different businesses. And uh, yeah, and, and with the fundamental fact underlying it all being that when you sign up for Prime, you become a kind of mega Amazon customer. 100%. And so everything, everything is focused on getting people into that funnel. You know, I want to tell you that... Um... It's it's almost like a spider's web that once you get caught on it, you can't you don't I, I want to say you can't get out. You don't want to. And, I, and I, yesterday was a perfect example of that. I have the Amazon Prime card, which gives you five percent back. Mm. So my mind thinks anytime I buy something on Amazon, I'm really getting it cheaper, even though sometimes even more money. Yesterday, my wife dragged me to Home Depot. Uh, to buy a garden hose. And my first thing is, why aren't we buying this on Amazon? Well, we want to buy something else, a garbage can that, that uh, Amazon doesn't sell because it's too big to ship, so you had to go to Home Depot. So I'm in Home Depot, and she's looking at the hoses. I say, I'm out of here. First of all, just the going, the people, I have to go in. They didn't have what I wanted. I didn't see reviews. I didn't want it. And I said, beside, let's look what it, and I just took my phone, and you put the app, and you do the barcode. Amazon had it for like 4 or $5 cheaper. And I said, and we get 5% back. And if there's any problem with it in 30 days, 
we send it back without a problem. How could you beat that? And the more I keep thinking about what Amazon Prime has done to me, and I, you know, I think about this every now and then, I stop thinking about it, is that anything that can be bought through Amazon, I make sure everyone in my family does so. Period, end of sentence. I'll go, don't, don't waste your time, order it now. And the, the delivery people, UPS, USPS, and the Amazon dark, I think the Navy trucks or whatever they are, are there, you get the picture of the thing delivered uh, to your email, go outside, it's there, and boom. How could you beat that? No, how, how could there not be 200 million people signed up unless it didn't work? But it does. Well, I don't. Uh, I, uh, it wasn't a question. I, it wasn't I a question. It was a statement. Like, <laughs> Charles, I like a Home Depot. I buy the hoses in the Home Depot, but I, maybe I'm just sort of less methodical. But I want to see. There are certain things where I just I just need to see it. Okay, but my point is, if I see it, right, I get it delivered. Yeah. I don't like it. I could go to read. Yeah. I could. I could. Uh, four blocks away from a house is a postal center, which this guy, you know, whoever went to postal, you know, these these package centers, and now there's mountains of cartons there of people, you know, that became Amazon's warehouse. That's true. <laughs> so yeah. I say, you know, what the heck? And one day, by the way, Charles, you won't need to go to the post office. They'll, they'll come and pick stuff up. Oh, they do have right? that so, where you check off, but I, they're not that reliable because you leave it outside. Sometimes they ring the yeah. bell. It's not even worth it to me. But, but to me, I, I, you know, it, in, in, at the point that I wanted to make, Brad, is this. You, going back to, circling back to what you said about the cost that's involved in doing this in terms of the human cost. If Amazon wasn't providing... The service, the value add, uh, the convenience, uh, the accessibility, yada, 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 it, it wouldn't mean squat. But totally. the problem, not the problem, but, uh, but the, 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 the fine edge here is that they're so good at what they do. And in a way, it becomes to most people dangerous. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yeah, the way I think about it is there are certain companies that take time from us and there are other companies that give us back time. Mm. And the companies that take time for us, I'm thinking about some social networking companies, you know, YouTube, et cetera. We might have a little resentment, or at least I do. Like, I can't believe I spent this much right. time on right. doing this. Right. Amazon does tend to give us back time and people appreciate that in this day and age when, you know, when they can shave a couple of trips in the car off, uh, when you just click and you don't have to think about it. Brad, Brad, as long it, as was, it, it was one hour in traffic back and forth for a $30 yeah. garbage can that if Amazon had it for $40, I would have bought it because I can't get that hour back. As long as it works, it's tremendously com compelling and the conscientious objectors like the ones we were speaking about, they are few and far between. I think most people, even though they have trepidations about Amazon's kind of impact on society, its impact on competitiveness, its relationship with workers. Look, and I'm upfront by this too, with this too. I'm a I'm a prime member also, right? And so, you know, it 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 has been good for me and my family. We're, you know, we order, we watch the TV shows and movies when we have Alexas. So, you know, I'm I'm there's a critique in that book. But I want to be balanced, and I want to say, probably on on par, Amazon, you know, has 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 done some. I think probably, you know, on net, good things for society. I, I would I would beg to differ slightly and say they did a lot of great things for society. People who, you know, I remember back in the day, the one horse town, where even in, in Brooklyn, 
uh, there was one store that sold comic books and and books, and that was the price. There was no yeah. price comparison. And I happened to go there about uh, 20 years later when one of my youngest sons and I were walking. And we walked in the store, and um, I go, how's business? And then we started talking. I used to bring my oldest child here, and we, she remembered my, that kid. And she goes, yeah, business has gone down since the Internet. It's terrible for us. I go, terrible for us? Mm -hmm. You sold a baseball card or a comic book at any price you wanted because there was no price discovery. You couldn't get it anywhere. And if you took it out and you didn't like it, you deducted 20% restocking fee because I couldn't sell it new. And you're wondering why? Where I could buy anything now virtually from Amazon, pop it, use it, in 30 days, don't like it, return it. And without any problem, get my money back. And if they can't get it back, they'll uh, go on the chat and they'll apologize and give me a $10 coupon to something. So tell me, you know, it's, it, and, and people do forget those one-horse towns where the only place to buy sweaters or shoes or anything, limited supply, limited availability, limited selection, and you try to return these things. Many places you try to return, they gave you credit only. But I don't want to go in your store. Sorry, that's our policy. Yeah. Well, look, I'll just say, you know, I, I do have some sympathy for the small business owner who finds themselves competing with a juggernaut with almost limitless pockets for the kind of discounts and refunds that you're talking about. And, and yes, maybe some of them had had slightly predatory business practices went back when they had monopolies on their own customers. Um, but that's probably, you know, ho hopefully somewhat of a minority. And this is a, a much tougher business climate. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's also true that some independent bookstores are thriving right now. So it's all about finding your your niche and taking care of your customers. Right. I think it just makes the marketplace sharper. You have to be sharper. You just can't you can't coast anymore because you can't coast. Uh, right. You know, again, last thing I want to talk to you about, and then we'll wrap it up here. I could speak to you all day because uh, mm -hmm. I just, I love, I love this book. I love the other book. Uh, just you give such a great, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an insight into a company, which is absolutely, uh, you know, I put on par of Standard Oil, you know, John D. Rockefeller's company. And, and that's what I want to come to. A few years ago, Warren Buffett said that, he watched Jeff Bezos, and he called him one of the, the greatest businessmen of our time. He's the John D. Rockefeller of our, of our generation. And he said, and I'm not quoting exactly, but he watched how he mastered retail. And then he went on to master and dominate the cloud. And two different, and it seems that every business this guy gets into it's go big or go home. The cloud business, uh, I wish if I had one comment for a revision on this, I would have loved to see more about the cloud. You talk about Jedi and about the whole thing there, but I would have loved to know more about that cloud business because that is just a, that's a month, that's just, that revolutionized 60 everything. 60 billion a year. Oh, yeah. gosh. T talk about that for a minute. Well, right. So this is one of the challenges of including it in the books. And, and I have the origin story of, of the cloud business in the everything store. And in this book, I talk about how they started reporting the financial results and why they kept it secret for so long and how it grew to a $60 billion a year revenue uh, business. Um, uh, what profit, and how uh, what profit margins were that? They were huge profit margins. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's, it's among the highest at Amazon, oh probably. Yeah. 25 or 30%. It was 30%, uh, yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, it, it, most of the internet is running on Amazon. We think of Netflix or Disney Plus or Apple TV Plus as competition. 
for Amazon Prime Video, and yet those services run on Amazon's com computers via AWS. Uh, it, it's you know Amazon.com itself runs on AWS, and it's so it's this fast-growing business in competition with Google and Microsoft and Oracle and the rest. It's very competitive, and it it allows Amazon to continue to invest in new things. Probably part of the reason why we have Alexa, the robot that they just announced, new businesses in different parts of the world. Part of the reason why Amazon's a growth company is because divisions like AWS and another one, uh, advertising, is oh, just generates geez. a lot of cash, yep. and Amazon can go invest. and And you know, until until these kind of nuclear generators of revenue and profit uh, slow down, this will this company will continue to expand. So wow, you know, it's just it's it's staggering how uh, um, how dominant AWS has become, and how its runway is so long, uh, because they have such a jump on everyone else, and they have uh, it works. It just I, I you know just look if these things didn't work, we wouldn't be discussing it, right? It would be a thing. Last last thing for you, and I want you to give me like a sixty second, no more than that, because we could probably speak for hours on it. With all of the, the focus now, not a lot, I should say, a lot of the focus of Congress on technology companies and monopolies and uh, bad press because this country, they like the up-and-coming up struggler, but when you become king of the mountain, you know, they love that. They loved Bezos 20 years ago. Now he's, he has a bullseye on his back. What do you see based on all the knowledge that you've had and all the insights you had, I know you're not going to give me 100%. No one has a crystal ball, but what do you think Amazon's next steps with Bezos off to the side just a bit and with Jassy now that, what do you see as their new direction or the new softer, kinder Amazon if, if you see something like that? Right. Well, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll try to, I'll try to go quick. Um, some of the big things that I think loom, loom out in the near future are more Amazon physical stores, grocery stores, bookstores, maybe even department stores, because e-commerce is a 15% 15 of all of retail, and Amazon wants to top that other 85%. So it's going where its customers are. So you know, seeing more Amazon as you drive to work and back, that's a big thing. Amazon getting into healthcare, Amazon getting into satellite internet access, um, more Amazon devices, more Amazon data centers and fulfillment centers closer to population. So more of Amazon is the easiest prediction to make. And then probably more regulatory scrutiny. And no, I, I don't think that Congress breaks Amazon up. I think it's going to have a very hard time demonstrating that it's a monopoly because, as I said, they compete with very big companies and most of their businesses, and they compete in very large markets. And so, but I do think we'll see maybe Amazon's wings clipped a little bit and the kinds of relationships it has with marketplace sellers, uh, maybe its drivers, maybe its warehouse workers, who knows, maybe we get some Amazon unions. But, you know, by and large, um, I, I, I don't really see a kind of existential threat to the company right now. Um, you know, well, it, right. it's going to be interesting to watch because Bezos brought a lot of energy and passion. And I do really think he is off to the side right now. Um, but, you know, that'll be interesting to see if this is a company that can continue to be innovative 
when the founder is not around. That, that Charles, is the thing we'll talk about next time. Yeah, is this going to be another Apple, you know, Tim Cook kind of thing where uh, right. the company got stronger? I just hope one day I buy my health insurance from um, Amazon because the rates that the major uh, insurers have is just, that, that's an industry. I'm sure, I'm sure they would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. All right. The name of the book, folks, is Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. It is a really quick read. Uh, Brad threw in a lot of stuff here. Really, really, I, I think it's balanced. I don't know if anyone, has anyone said it's unbalanced? Does, do you have like uh, critics who say? I, I feel like the the uh, the consensus is that it's balanced. The Amazon haters, do they view this as you were being a cheerleader or not? I, I actually take pride in the fact that different factions can pick it up and take things out of it. And, and there's a critique in there that I think probably does appeal to the critics. And, and, and there's enough of the story in there that probably appeals to the, to the true believers. So. Mm. Yeah. Did, did you get it from the, from Bezos or his wife, his, his former wife, uh, Mackenzie, did you get a star rating from them on this? No, one no review, no reviews this time around. All right. That could be a good thing, huh? They kind of liked it. All right. Well, I, I, I think the one star review of the everything store ended up helping, oh. but um, again, I, 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 uh, I won't, I wouldn't wish that another, another go around. <laughs> a, f- a five star would have helped you so much better. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brad, thanks so much, man. It's been really my pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed the book, Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.